Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about world affairs and the people who shape it. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch, and in this show we discuss topical global issues and have in-depth conversations with personalities in foreign policy. Global Dispatches is presented in partnership with Humanity in Action, an international educational organization, and I am a Humanity in Action senior fellow. At the very end of last year, I had the opportunity to moderate a panel at the United States Institute of Peace that served as the launch of a new report called the Global Terrorism Index. This is a -a one-of-a-kind quantitative examination of the impact of terrorism around the world. It includes a look at the number of terrorism deaths, the geographic distribution of terrorist attacks, including the countries and regions where terrorism is on the increase or decrease, and importantly, it puts all this data into a broader historic context in which one is able to compare the data year by year. The Global Terrorism Index is researched, compiled, and published by the global think tank, the Institute for Economics and Peace. And on the line with me to discuss the 2017 report and help explain what big data can tell us about terrorism around the world is Daniel Heislop, the research director at the Institute for Economics and Peace. In the conversation, we also reference another flagship report out of the Institute called the Positive Peace Report, which takes a quantitative approach to measuring attitudes and institutions and structures that, quote, create and sustain peaceful societies. And I also had the opportunity to moderate a panel, this time at Stanford University, that served as the launch of that report. Both the Global Terrorism Index and the Positive Peace Report are cutting-edge research in global affairs, and I was very glad to have the opportunity to engage with them pretty deeply towards the end of last year. And I think you'll really appreciate this conversation with the research director at the Institute for Economics and Peace, Daniel Heislop, who helps put together these reports. We focus mostly on the Global Terrorism Index, and it's a really fascinating conversation. Uh, Before we begin, I just want to acknowledge a milestone that the podcast hit uh, this past week. We reached our one millionth download. And I just want to take this opportunity to thank you, uh, the listener, for sticking with me all all these years and making this show a success, making it uh, something that the international policy community tunes into each week. And for being with me every step of the way, I I so appreciate your support. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, Obviously, I could not have have reached this kind of impact without your support, without you telling your friends and colleagues, without you talking about the podcast on social media. So just thank you for helping to spread the word about the show and for helping the show reach its, its milestone of 1 million downloads on January 1st. All right, now here is my conversation with Daniel Heislop of the Institute for Economics and Peace. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization 
hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. The headline finding of this year's Global Terrorism Index report is uh, a positive one, which showed that there was basically a drop in the number of deaths globally from terrorist activity. There's about a 13% drop, and that's a 22% fall since the peak in 2014. I think that's fairly notable because when you look at uh, the levels of terrorism globally, uh, it has been one type of violence that's been fast growing in the last 10 years seen a pretty dramatic increase. Uh, this is uh, the second time in a row that we've seen a, a fall. And I think it really is a turning point in uh, global trends in terrorist activity. Uh, so, when you look at... So, so just to be clear, after um, you said almost uh, a decade of an increase in the number of deaths, which was the metric you're referring to, caused by terrorism around the world, the last two years we've seen consistent declines. That's right. That's right. So we, we saw a 13% uh, improvement uh, this year, uh, in 2016, that is, and uh, a 22% improvement when you count back from 2014. So uh, it is a fairly notable improvement in terms of the number of people who are victims of terrorist activity. What accounts for the decrease in number of deaths? That, and it seems to be like a significant number of de- decrease in, in deaths uh, last year. Yes, it's really because of the reduction in the places where the great majority of terrorist activity happens. And we've seen a fall in four of the five countries with the highest level of terrorism. Specifically, that's Afghanistan, Nigeria, Syria and Pakistan. Uh, And when you look within that, uh, we note that there's about an 80 percent improvement in Nigeria uh, from uh, one year ago. And have to remember that only... Two years ago, Boko Haram, according to the Global Terrorism Database, which is the data that we use in our index uh, and that the index is based on. And and I want to get back to that in a little bit to talk just a little bit about process, how you put this data together, but keep going with your point. Sure. Uh, So, yeah, we just have to remember that only two years ago that Boko Haram was the most deadly terrorist group in the world. And we've seen an 80 percent improvement uh, in terms of the number of deaths that the group has caused. And that's really because uh, it has broken into three separate groups. Uh, there's also been a fairly concerted military effort against the group uh, and this multinational joint task force, uh, which has been a collaboration between the various states in the region, has been very effective militarily at diminishing the group. Mm-hmm. So, th- so those are the kind because of Because Boko Haram has been defeated on the battlefield in many parts of northern Nigeria, its ability to carry out the kind of deadly attacks that it was carrying out in previous years has sharply diminished. That's right. And where else uh, so that accounts counts for for a big decline. Where else accounts for for a big decline? So we we did see a, a reduction in Syria. Uh, we have seen a reduction in uh, Pakistan, uh, but really Nigeria does stand on its own as as a real outlier in terms of the the number of the level of improvement. Um, Twenty sixteen, there was a reduction in the number of deaths in Yemen, uh, but that was really reflective of the I guess on again off again peace talks. Uh, 
And the trend in Afghanistan is a little bit more, uh, I guess, uh, contradictory in the sense that we've seen a shift in tactics by the Taliban more towards conventional armed conflict against the Afghan government uh, and a slight reduction in the level of terrorist tactics. But that reduction doesn't necessarily reflect uh, a diminishment of the group. Uh, we know that uh, the Taliban now controls more territory than before. Uh, so uh, it's really about a shift in tactics. Uh, the rest of the improvements that you see globally are connected to the the, the change in Nigeria and the diminishment of Boko Haram. Uh, Niger, Cameroon, Chad, they've all seen falls in the levels of terrorist activity. So uh, those other countries have previously been quite badly affected. And which countries are now the worst uh, in terms of, of number of terrorist incidents and, and terrorist deaths? Well, the number one country on the index is Iraq, and uh, it has unfortunately been there for some time. There was a very large increase in uh, the number of terrorist deaths in 2016 in Iraq. There was a 40% increase. Uh, although that was really connected to the fact that the group was being diminished by the military campaign uh, and perhaps acting out in desperation to defend its territory. Of course, now that we're talking at the end of 2017, we know that it holds almost no major uh, areas or major territories and uh, it's significantly diminished militarily. So if we were to use that Boko Haram uh, model as an example, one might extrapolate that the number of terrorist deaths next year will be significantly decreased because ISIS has been uh, defeated on the ground in, in Iraq and in much of Syria. One would certainly expect that for the 2017 calendar year, we would see fewer deaths, uh, although the campaigns in, uh, in Mosul, for instance, were quite uh, deadly. So... Uh, you know, one would expect there to be still quite a large number of deaths, but uh, perhaps fewer than uh, 2016. And and the the reason that you extrapolated that that there are so many deaths is that ISIS was on the verge of of defeat and so sort of lashed out in a way. Yes, basically there was an increase in the use of terrorist tactics, uh, more use of violence against civilians. Uh, and uh, tactics outside the precepts of international humanitarian law, which is what is included in the definition of a, a terrorist incident in the database. So can you uh, just mention maybe one or two other highlights from the report that, that you saw, maybe something that, that surprised you from the report or other um, indicators that you think are, are worthy of note? Uh, the other major finding from the report is the fact that we've seen this counter trend in the OECD member countries, all the developed settings, uh, which of course has generated a lot of attention in the Western world. And we, let me just say, the OECD is the Organization for Economic and Cooperation. Cooperation and Development is basically the wealthier countries in the world, including basically, Western Europe. Yeah, that's right. And uh, essentially including Western Europe, the US, Canada, Australia. And we're, we've seen a, an increase in, in, that, in, in those countries. Uh, in fact, the increase has been to the highest level since 1988, if you take out September 11. Uh, so that's been a somewhat concerning trend. However, if you look into the first half of 2017, uh, there has been an improvement. And I think what we're actually seeing is the fact that uh, the diminishment of ISIL uh, especially will uh, 
potentially result in improvements going forward in terms of the ability of the group to project more violence uh, into Europe and elsewhere. Uh, and so that's why we do describe this year's report as a, a turning point in, uh, in, the, in the levels of terrorist activity globally. What's interesting in, in this report, I'm actually holding the physical copy in, in my hand. They gave it to me at USAIP when I, uh, when I moderated the event the other week. But, um, I'm, I'm looking at that, uh, chart from the OECD countries from 1970 to 2016. And it's just like remarkable how, um, little terrorism there was before September 11th. And then also how few terrorist deaths there were in like the, you know, 2010s and early 20, you know, the, the mid 2000s, say, and then just a jump, uh, this year in, in 2016 to something like, you know, 700 deaths were lit by terrorism in OECD countries. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's hard to describe because your listeners can't see the chart, but I guess what you can see is that, uh, the OECD member states or especially Western Europe is a region not unused to terrorist violence. Um, if you go back to the 1970s, there were very large amounts of violence from other separatist groups like ETA and the IRA. Uh, there have been other extremist events uh, like the Air India bombing uh, in 1985, um, uh, which you know, accounted for a large number of deaths. And so you do see these large peaks prior to September 11 uh, that show that terrorism has been a common feature of, uh, I guess, the European experience uh, for many, many years prior to September 11. And, and also on the OECD, what's, what's interesting, uh, what I take from the report, is that, yes, there are more deaths from in OECD countries now than there have been in years, but it still accounts for about 1% of total terrorist deaths around the world. Terrorism related yes, and, and this is something that we really do try and emphasize in the report and in the communication of the report is that uh, the great majority of terrorism occurs in, in five countries, essentially, and it is a highly concentrated uh, type of violence. Uh, when you look at even the 1% of those deaths that have occurred in the OECD uh, and you, you count up the 10,000 casualties from terrorism since 1970 in mostly Western Europe. Uh, you see that ISIL, uh, Daesh, uh, uh, ISIL-inspired attacks uh, have only accounted for about 4.7% of the total of that, uh, those 10,000 uh, victims. So even by terrorism standards in uh, Western Europe, ISIL is not as deadly as a lot of other groups uh, that, that, that have committed terrorist acts in the region. What, which were the deadlier ones, groups? IRA? IRA, uh, ETA, uh, and because of the size of the September 11 attacks, uh, course, yeah. the Al-Qaeda yeah. attack is uh, th some 31% of that total. So, um, yeah, I mean, these other groups are much significant, much so, more significant. So, so uh, I just want to take a, a little step back, and can you explain to listeners, like, how you put together this data for, for the report? Like, what was your process? What, how do you define terrorist attack, terrorist death? Um, just walk us through, like, a, a little of, of the process. Sure. So uh, the first thing that's important to note is that we uh, work quite closely with the uh, University of Maryland and the Global Terrorism Database that they generate. That's a very important source uh, material for the index and that database is based on uh, media events 
and uh, we essentially take aspects from that from that data set and compile it into our index. When you look at the events that they code, they are based on a definition of terrorism that uh, is perhaps the most widely accepted definition. Of course, uh, this is uh, one of the persistent uh, issues in terrorism studies is the definition. Uh, but the definition that, that we use and that is, is set by sound is the use of illegal force and violence by a non-state actor to attain a political, economic, religious or social goal through fear, coercion or intimidation. And what needs to occur after an event's coded is it needs to meet a certain level of criteria. Uh, so the incident must be intentional. Uh, it must entail some level of violence or threat of violence. Uh, and the perpetrators of the incidences must be subnational actors. Um, and then there's a further so criteria. Should, should, so you exclude what's known as state terrorism. That's correct. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think what's important to note about that is certainly in terms of our work, in terms of IEP's work, the Institute for Economics and Peace, we, 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 we very much look at state terrorism and state violence uh, in our Global Peace Index. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is really about bracketing a, a different type of violence. Uh, but not about ignoring it. Um, and, and, of course, one can try and code forms of state-sponsored uh, terrorism, uh, which is another discussion entirely. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, so, that, but that is essentially the de definition that we mm -hmm. use. And and so basically it's this group at the University of uh, Maryland, and I had the, the pleasure of, of meeting and, and interviewing on uh, the panel Aaron Miller, who's who's the lead in, in that project at the University of Maryland, who talked a bit about that, that process. But basically it's like a scientific process that they go through to uh, determine terrorist incidents around the world, and then you get to crunch the numbers and, and analyze it. Um, how, like, how do you identify terrorists? the trends that, that are included in the report? So one thing that the uh, compilation of the data into an index allows us to do is to do uh, various statistical analysis to other socioeconomic factors and to do basic descriptive analysis of the trends. Uh, I, I should mention that in the compilation of the index, we take four variables, the number of incidences, the injuries, the deaths, and the level of property damage, and we compile them into a score, uh, and then we give them a, a five-year weighted average. And so a country score is then uh, developed out of 10, and uh, that score reflects uh, the four indicators as well as the five-year moving trend, because what we're actually trying to capture is the impact of terrorism and the, the sort of latent societal impact that a terrorist attack can have. Uh, it's also logarithmically scored. So, uh, you know, a, a, small, a large attack in a country that hasn't had many attacks before uh, will get a, a large score uh, relatively compared to a country that has a lot of uh, attacks on a very regular basis. And that's to really reflect the fact that terrorism can be very impactful uh, even though the levels of violence can actually be uh, quite low intensity. And, and uh, you see that, I think, in the illustration uh, in, in OECD countries in, in Western Europe, where the attacks are, are um, you know, not horrifically deadly compared to what's happening in Iraq or what was happening in, in Nigeria, yet the society-wide effects uh, are, are fairly profound. Absolutely, absolutely. And one thing that we try and emphasize, of course, in this in the description of the data is the fact that you know, when you look at terrorism as a form of violence, it's not actually very deadly compared to other forms of violence. Uh, we know that you know, even in a, a place like the UK, you're 16 times more likely to be killed in a homicide uh, 
rather than a, a terrorist attack. Uh, so this is an important thing to, I guess, emphasize. So, so can I ask, like, what's the point? Like, why, why did you put together uh, all this data and crunch the numbers and put out the Global Terrorism Index? Like, what are you hoping to uh, accomplish? Well, I think firstly, uh, when you look at all forms of violence in the past 10 years and you look at the state of global peace, uh, you know, which is something that you know, the Institute is preoccupied with measuring, uh, what we find is that the world has become pretty notably less peaceful. And we've seen an increase in the number of conflicts uh, and especially the increase in the number of uh, internal conflicts, uh, intrastate conflicts. And a lot of that is because of non-state actors fighting other non-state actors and state fragility. And uh, when you look at uh, the types of violence that come out of that, the use of terrorist tactics has uh, dramatically increased uh, in the past uh, 10, 15 years. And for that reason, we thought it was important to start to uh, do better descriptive analysis of those trends and, and to better understand why is it happening and uh, what are the sorts of resources going towards uh, actually addressing the root causes of terrorist activity. And the ultimate goal of this exercise is to really understand what can create peace in the long term. And so like, what, what to that end have, have you found so far? So what we've found is that... Uh, I think when you're talking about terrorist activity, you do need to bracket uh, the two, I guess, types of uh, drivers or the the, the two, um, I guess, descriptive uh, aspects to it in terms of where it actually happens. So what we find in, uh, I guess, uh, lower income uh, developing settings is a set of drivers that can be correlated to a range of socioeconomic factors, uh, not always universally, but generally speaking, we find that uh, you know, measures of governance, inequality, group grievances, uh, e economic inequalities, uh, livelihoods uh, can be important uh, correlates of terrorist activity. When you look to the developed settings uh, and you look at the reasons why individuals or lone actors commit terrorist activities, we see a much more ambiguous set of uh, correlations to various socioeconomic factors. And I think that's an important finding uh, because what it suggests is that there's multiple paths to radicalization. And I think in a lot of the international discussion about terrorism, uh, we often see a conflation of those two things. Uh, what we also see is... Uh, uh, a, a link to particular counterterrorism strategies uh, that can actually undermine and exacerbate the very grievances that give rise to more terrorist activity. And uh, ultimately, that's what we're trying to prevent. And I think uh, this is one of the key findings of the report and the data that uh, some of these activities are actually counterproductive. Well, well, can I push back on on that last point a, a little bit? Again, take drawing from the Nigeria example, in which, um, you know, as we discussed at the outset, a military campaign is what ultimately drove down the number of deaths from Boko Haram in Nigeria. Yet, there's been widespread reporting that that military campaign was not conducted necessarily with the highest level of of sort of human rights and and perhaps counterinsurgency concerns and 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 so i wonder though if that correlation is is so strong i mean if the nigerian military did brutally suppress this um terrorist group and uh you know how 
then why not the blowback? I, I think in the case of Boko Haram, you also have to remember the group splintered into three separate groups, and so it's not as cohesive as it once was. Uh, but that's precisely the point that we're making: is that you know, with a lot of these counterterrorism activities, you they may be necessary in the short term, but the way that they're often uh, delivered or implemented uh, can exacerbate a lot of the grievances that that can give rise to more activity in the long term. And what we have looked at in the report is uh, an update to a fairly famous study conducted by the RAND group, uh, which looked at how terrorist groups end in Canada, about 600 terrorist groups operating between 1970 and 2007. And essentially what that research uh, found is that uh, the more groups tend to end or successfully uh, end if they enter a political process. And uh, a lot of groups also end in an internal splintering. Uh, we have seen an increase in military or police uh, defeats as a, as a driver of ending a terrorist group. Uh, but the most sustainable way to actually end a terrorist group and end its activity is for it to enter a political settlement or a political process, not unlike the one that we saw the FARC enter into with the Colombian government earlier this year. And so this is, I think, something that uh, we re-emphasise time and time again. Uh, I think it is slightly more complex when you're dealing with groups like ISIL, which have maximalist claims and uh, you know, have uh, demands that are much more difficult to negotiate with. So finally, can I ask, um, as you're putting this report together, is there anything, any data point that, that just jumped out at you, surprised you? For us, I think the, uh, the most critical data point is the fact that when you look at all the terrorist attacks that have occurred since uh, 1985, uh, about 99% of them have occurred in a country that, uh, or in countries, I should say, that have been involved in an armed conflict with its pre-existing grievances, pre-existing uh, conditions that give rise to conflict, uh, or in the context of uh, serious human rights abuses, widespread political terror, widespread uh, political imprisonment, torture, extrajudicial killing. And so terrorism basically does not exist in a vacuum. It either exists in the context of a pre-existing conflict or in the context of uh, serious human rights abuses. So when we're talking about uh, root drivers, root causes of terrorist activity, uh, it really comes back to those two variables. And and what that means is that we really need to think much more broadly about conflict prevention, uh, peace building, uh, and uh, the building of what we call positive peace, which is the attitudes, institutions, and structures that help build a, a more peaceful society in the long run. That's where we really need to shift the focus. Uh, and a lot of these processes take a lot longer than uh, three or four years, which tends to be the focus of a lot of donors, uh, to 10, 15, 20, 30 year time periods. So by expanding the time horizon that this report does, or by, by offering an extended time horizon that this report does, which I think is really what makes it so unique, it gives you the ability to measure some of those longer term trends. Yes, I mean, that's, that's the goal. And I think we will continue to release the report. Uh, and update it on a yearly basis. And uh, we also try and have a, a number of discussions internationally, a number of launches where we can try and further debate discussion of these issues. Uh, we also invite a number of other expert contributors to the report. Encourage everyone to have a look at it on, on our website uh, 
and uh, certainly download it. Well, uh, Daniel, thank you so much for your time and, and for this report. And I'll point listeners to a, a link where they could uh, download the PDF and just play with the, the, the numbers. It's really fascinating stuff. Thanks, Matt. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Daniel. And as you could deduce from his accent, I, I caught him in Australia, uh, where it was quite early in the morning. So thanks for, for uh, taking the time to speak with me, Daniel. And we will see you soon. i got some great shows coming up in the near future. So stay tuned. Bye. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the policies or positions of Humanity in Action.